Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you this morning asking you to join us here in this place and trusting that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in your Son, our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. These two passages of Scripture, the two readings that we have assigned for us this morning, one from Romans chapter 5 and the other from John chapter 4, taken together are why I am a Christian. They tell the story of why I place my trust for salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not exactly the verses in and of themselves, of course, but the truths that they illustrate, the news, both bad and good, that they proclaim. And so this morning, I'm going to share those truths and that news with you to the end that you either A, come to a saving faith for the first time, or B, have your faith bolstered and encouraged. Because that's what we do here. We introduce people to Jesus Christ And then remind them, you and me, again and again of his greatness, his glory, both in what he calls you to and what he has accomplished for you. Because like it did for the woman at the well in John chapter 4, meeting Jesus and all that such a meeting entails will change your entire life. Forever. Jesus is in Samaria. He's on his way to Galilee. He's tired from his journey. And when he comes upon a well, he sits down to take a break. It's about noon, the hottest part of the day. Ordinarily, the woman of the city would gather at the well to draw water and to socialize. But they would do that in the morning or in the evening, in the cooler parts of the day to avoid the heat of the sun. This woman who comes upon Jesus on this day then comes when she thought no one would be there. Woman was a Samaritan, of course. Jesus is in Samaria. And Samaritans, as we get a hint of in the text, were historic and famous enemies of the Jews. In fact, when Jews would ordinarily travel from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, as Jesus was doing, they would go all the way around Samaria just to avoid coming into contact with any Samaritans. So the people of Samaria were the descendants of Jews who had intermarried with the Babylonians while the people of Israel were in exile there. And the Judaism they practiced was not thought of as as Jewish or as pure as the Judaism practiced by the Jews of the other regions in Palestine, they didn't even have the same set of scriptures. And as a result, the Samaritans were seen by the Jews as permanently unclean. 
and to be avoided. The, the reason that I'm sharing this little bit of history with you is to help you understand the uniqueness of this interaction that's happening here. First of all, Jesus shouldn't even have been there. Right? He should have walked miles out of his way to get around Samaria altogether. Secondly, he shouldn't have been talking to a woman, period. And the fact that the woman was a Samaritan made the whole thing even all the more improper. A rabbi like Jesus to be having this conversation. So Jesus asks the woman for a drink. The woman, surprised that Jesus is even talking to her, says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And Jesus and this woman have this incredible conversation about the water in the well versus living water and the difference between the two. Jesus explains that whoever drinks of the water that's in the well is just going to eventually be thirsty again. But then he says that whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says exactly what you or I would say. How can I get me some of this water? But Jesus' next comment is fascinating. He says, go and call your husband and come back. And when the woman kind of coyly says that she has no husband, Jesus totally busts her. You are right in saying you have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman is understandably shocked that Jesus could know these things about her and calls him a prophet. And they have a little bit more of a conversation. And then Jesus finally reveals to her in plain, explicit language that he himself is the promised Messiah. I am he, he says, the one who is speaking to you. As profound as all of that is, and there are about 10 or 15 sermons that we could preach just on what we've read so far, I'm not going to do any of those sermons because my actual favorite part of this story is what comes next. If you were to read on a little bit further from what we read today, you'd read about how the woman runs back to her city, telling everyone that she meets, come and meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. That's the first reason I'm a Christian. In the same way that this Samaritan woman was incredibly known by Jesus, known in her sordid sexual history in a way that could only be supernatural, when I open the word of God, I feel incredibly known. We acknowledge this as we open our worship every single Sunday in the prayer we call the collect for purity. Almighty God, we say, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. From you no secrets are hid. Now, that's a little scary, isn't it? We all want to be known, but to have our hearts laid open, all our desires uncovered, no secrets, that's altogether too far for most of us. We would be exposed. 
And of course, that's just what happens to this Samaritan woman. You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Ma'am, Jesus is saying, you are a sinner. How fascinating then that she doesn't do what we normally do when we are laid bare. When our selfish hearts are revealed. When our deepest, darkest secrets come to light. When that happens to us, we certainly run like she did, but we tend to run away from the person who has exposed us. And we run away forever. We certainly don't run around trying to introduce everyone we meet to this awful person who has spilled all our secrets out into the world. It would be more likely for us to run back to our city and shout, don't go to the well. There's an evil shaman there who knows the worst things you've ever done. That sounds more like what I would do. So what's with the woman here? Why is she so desperate for people to meet this Jesus who has so brazenly called her on her sin? Because though he knows her sin and knows her in her sin, he has also offered her springs of water welling up to eternal life. He knows that she is thirsty, desperately thirsty, and he has offered her a life in which she will never thirst again. This is the second reason I'm a Christian. It's not enough to be known. I need to be known and loved. St. Paul puts this into theological language, what Jesus is offering this Samaritan woman at the well. For while we were still weak, he writes, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely than now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more surely. Having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There may be no more words No more comforting words ever written than these. People, Paul says, may give up their lives for a truly good person. But God's love is such that he dies for his enemies. This is a love that will send us running, but not running away. We run to this love even though this is a love that is honest, unflinchingly honest about our sins. 
and shortcomings. We are known, really known, and loved. Really loved. And the key to how this is possible, this utterly inhuman possibility of being fully known and yet unconditionally loved, the thing that makes it work is the death of Jesus Christ. St. Paul says all of the culturally forbidden but true things in this passage. All the things polite society doesn't want us to say. What is it that we're saved from? The wrath of God. How are we saved? The death of Jesus. When were we saved? While we were weak, ungodly, while we were enemies of God. God is perfect holiness. And therefore, by his very nature, pours out his wrath on sin. And as uncomfortable as that is to our modern ears, it is the unflinching witness of the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned and were expelled from the garden and given over to death. The world became a sinful and corrupt place and was judged, wiped clean by a great flood. Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped from the face of the earth with holy fire from heaven. All righteous outpourings of the wrath of God. And lest you think that all these examples are just sort of exaggerated Old Testament storytelling, remember, for example, Ananias and Sapphira, two members of the church in Jerusalem during the ministry of the apostles in the weeks after Jesus' ascension. These, this husband and wife sold a plot of land and offered part of the proceeds to the church, but claimed they were giving all of the proceeds to the church. They lied to God's church, and God struck them dead. I know. But this can't be sugar-coated or hidden. God's wrath is poured out on sin. Hell is real and is stored up for those who reject God's lordship and install themselves on his throne. And to make it all even worse, you and I, like the woman at the well, are known. Almighty God, you know our hearts, all our desires. From you, no secrets are hid. That's the bad news. But there is good news for the sinful, like you and me. Jesus says that he is a spring of water, welling up to eternal life, and that if you drink of him, you will never be thirsty again. You thirsty sinners, lay your hope upon his shoulders. Drink from his well and be saved. Whether you have succumbed to temptation like Adam and Eve, are sexually sinful like Sodom and Gomorrah, are selfishly withholding like Ananias and Sapphira, if you've had five husbands and the man you're with is now not your husband or whatever the equivalent brokenness is for you, 
Come and meet a man who knows you and who died for you, who knows you fully and loves you completely. This Jesus is who we have gathered here this morning to celebrate. Each of us has had someone come running up to us, our own personal woman at the well, begging us to meet this Jesus. For many of us, it was our parents who raised us from our earliest days to know the goodness and mercy of Christ. Some of us heard from a friend or a mentor or a preacher. Maybe even you're hearing about him for the first time or in a new way right now. If so, the news is the same for you as it is for all of us. The bad news first. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband or the equivalent. You know your heart, and so does God. You are a sinner. So confess your sins. Don't hide them. He knows your heart is already laid bare. Repent. Don't dig in your heels. Give up trying to satisfy your own thirst. Whatever well you're dipping into, sex, money, power, influence, whatever, it won't satisfy. You will only be thirsty again. Come and meet Jesus. Meet him this morning for the first time or wrap your arms around him again and more tightly. Hear his good news. Feast at his table. And then join us as we go tell people about him. This man, God incarnate, who told us everything we ever did. Who knew us fully and loved us completely. God knows you. In Christ and on account of Christ. God loves you. In him there is life eternal. It is yours right now in him for free. What a savior we have in Jesus. Amen.